today we're going to have a showdown. It's a showdown. Religion versus the gospel. Yeah, right. It's fight morning. Right. Religion versus the gospel. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. What are the differences between them and why uh, the gospel is different, why we care about the gospel, which means the good news of Jesus Christ, why it's different in every religion in the world. Did you know that? There are hundreds and thousands of religions in this world. And everyone, I think our natural heart's instinct is to go towards religion. Because religion is all about law. It's all about do this, though that's what the law says, do this, and good things will happen for you. Don't do this, and bad things are going to happen to you. So every religion in the world says, if you were to boil them down, just look at Judaism. There's this law that was given, the Ten Commandments. If you do these Ten Commandments, plus the 640 other laws in the Old Testament, if you do them, you'll be blessed. If you don't do them, bad things will happen to you. Look at Islam. There's five pillars of Islam. You have to declare things like there's one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. You're going to have to go on a pilgrimage to Mecca. You're going to have to fast during the month of Ramadan. You're going to have to give alms to the poor. There's these different rules. You have to do them. If you do them, you'll get to go into paradise where there's all these virgins. Okay, we'll just move on from that. And if you don't do them, bad things are going to happen to you. Look at Buddhism. There's the Eightfold Path of Buddhism. You have to do these eight different things and develop as a person so that you can achieve nirvana. It's a very good thing. And if you don't do them, you'll be stuck in this world, the cycle of life, maybe even be reborn. And that leads into Hinduism because there's a lot of overlap between those Eastern religions and all sorts of variations. But they all come down to the same instance in Hinduism. What is it? Karma. That's the law. If you do good things, good things will happen to you. If you do bad things, come back to you. That's pretty popular in our country today. It's really seeped in from Eastern religions. This idea of karma, good things that you do, bring back good things. Bad things you do, you'll come back as a cockroach. I know I'm simplifying these religions a lot, but that's the basic idea. And a lot of people have lumped Christianity in with all the other religions. And sadly, there's a lot of churches and denominations that play into that. But that's not what's at the heart of Christianity. The heart of Christianity... It's the gospel. It's not about what you do. It's about what God did for us. So we're going to see in our passage two different terms that are used over and over again. The first one is law. And whenever I talk about law, it specifically Paul was referencing the Old Testament law. But it really could apply to all the religions of the world. Or if you're not very religious, you have your own law that you've made up. Remember we talked about that when we got to recycle. Conserve energy. You know, we have different laws. If you don't do that, you're a bad person. We have these different laws. So that's what we're talking about. Religion. These laws. These rules you have to follow. If you do them, good things will happen. If you don't do them, bad things are going to happen. That's law. The second term we're going to see is promise. Because God promises to do something for us. And the basic idea of that is grace. There's this grace that God is going to give us something, even though we don't do something in return. Or we just have to accept it. And that grace is the gospel. So those two terms, law and promise, they mean the religion and the gospel throughout today. So I'm going to give you three points that separate law from gospel, why they're different, and then we're going to wrap it all up with a big idea like I do every week. So would you read with me in Galatians chapter 3, verse 15? You can just follow along. All right. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises, that's an important word, that's the gospel, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. 
Scripture does not say into seeds, meaning many people, but into your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise, but God in his grace gave Abraham through a promise. So what is he talking about? This is a pretty complex passage, so I'm going to break it down for us. Paul is saying, there is this law, this Old Testament law. A lot of you, he's writing to, a lot of you are trying to follow the law, the Ten Commandments, to be a good person, these 640 other laws. You're trying to follow all of them so that you will be accepted and loved and given grace of God. Okay? You, you do something to earn it. That's religion. He's saying that's the law that you're following. But he's saying there's something more important, there's something greater than the law that came before it. And when God promises something, he's not a human being. He doesn't lie or change his mind. He fulfills his promises. So back 430 years before the Ten Commandments and the law was ever given to Israel, there was a promise given to a man named Abraham. And God spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless your children. I'm going to bless your seed so that the entire world will be blessed through you. And what's really interesting that he mentions the seed concept is because in the Hebrew there, God said, I will bless your seed. It's a singular noun. So a lot of people thought that this was talking about all of the descendants of Abraham. And in a sense, it's talking about all of God's people. But in a more specific sense, there was one person, one seed in particular, that God was promising way back before the law. This promise, this gospel, in a seed form, that would come. And who is that one seed it's talking about? Jesus Christ. Even going before that, in Genesis 3.15, Adam and Eve, they sinned. And they are cursed because of their sin. But then God gives this promise in Genesis 3.15. He says to the woman, He says, One of your seed will crush the head of the serpent. You can go back and read this in Genesis 3.15. This one singular seed. Who is that talking about? Jesus Christ. You go all the way to David, the first king of Israel. God gave him a promise. And said, Your son will be the Messiah who will save he wasn't talking about Solomon, David's first son, or I'm sorry, the son that took over after him. He's talking about who? Jesus Christ. It's all this singular promises. There's going to be someone coming, this Messiah, this seed that will come, and it will be better than the law, because it came promised before the law. So, our first point is that the law is less than inferior to the gospel. The law came after the promise of the gospel. Jesus Christ hadn't come yet, but there was this promise that the seed would come to bless the entire world, to save the entire world, this Messiah. The promise was given first, and then God gave the law. So that's why the law, religion, is inferior to the gospel. In, in fact, we read through the scriptures that all of us fail to do the law. We've talked about this for a few weeks now. We're not good enough to pass all 640 plus laws in the Bible. We're not. But Jesus was. Jesus fulfilled the law, and therefore he ended the law. That's what it says in Romans 10.4. It says, Christ is the end of the law. In Hebrews 8.13, we read that when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. 
So that law was good for a while, God is saying. I gave you that law for a period of time. But now, my son, the Savior, the seed that you've been looking for and waiting for that I promised you long ago has come. And this gospel, this good news, is much better than the law. It's much better than the law. One of the reasons why is because of the difference between a conditional and an unconditional thing. So, in a promise, it's unconditional. God says, I will bless you, I will love you, I will forgive you no matter what. It's unconditional. It doesn't matter what we do wrong, how many laws we break, there's still forgiveness and grace. So grace is unconditional from God. But the law, on the other hand, is conditional. If you do these things, that's what religion is. If you do these things, good things will happen. If you don't do them, bad things will happen. Right? That's conditional. You've got to do the good things if you want to receive good things back. The grace, the gospel, the promise that God had says, I will give good things no matter what you do. All you have to do is accept it. That's why the gospel is superior to the law. Now, this is really important to us because I think it's hard for our hearts to grasp something that's unconditional. It's hard for our hearts to grasp something that's unconditional. In fact, if you're like me, you ask Jesus in your heart multiple times. Has anybody done that? I hear a few laughs. You can admit it. And I know this is true because there was a book that came out a few years ago, a little one by J.D. Griard, called Stop Asking Jesus in Your Heart. <laughs> because as a kid, I, I was taught the gospel. I, was, I went to church. My parents were Christian. They told me this good news about Jesus, there's forgiveness. And I was always like afraid I'd lost it. Uh-oh, I sinned this time. Do I need to ask Jesus in my heart again? Or I learned something more. Oh, I didn't know this before. I didn't really fully grasp it. I better ask Jesus in my heart again. We don't realize that it's unconditional. That God's promise is perfect and for all time. He says it doesn't matter what you do. There's grace for you. And, and we look for this grace. We want this unconditional love in our life, right? That's why when we get married, we take vows. And our vows are in sickness and in health. For better or for worse. No matter what happens or what you do, I'm still going to love you. That's the kind of marriage we all long for and want, right? It's what we want from our parents or kids. You know, we want for our kids too. So you want your parents to love you and accept you and consider you part of the family no matter what you do, no matter if you're in jail or if you don't have a good career. You want your parents to respect you and love you, don't you? Because that's what unconditional love our hearts long for in relationship. And when they don't, when they say, hmm, just not living up to my standards, what child of mine would do that? That hurts us to our core because that's conditional love. But in the gospel, there's unconditional love. Unconditional grace. It's a promise. God says, I'm going to give you this grace. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to give you salvation. All that you have to do is accept it. Nothing you can do will lose it. Nothing you can do will lose it. Justin Holcomb tells a story about when he was a kid. And he learned about this concept of grace. Justin was about 10 years old. And he... um, was living in the house, and the house next door was being sold. So the family moved out, and it was vacant. So Justin one day snuck in, he turned on all the faucets, plugged up all the drains, and watched as the entire house began to flood. He even went home for dinner and came back before he turned off the water. A few days later, when the family came to show the house to another family interested in buying it, found all the damage from the flood. Justin knew what he had done was wrong. In fact, he felt guilty for days. And when his parents asked him, hey, do you know anything about this? What did he do? He lied. 
what most of us have done. He lied and said, I, I don't know anything about it. But he felt so guilty because he knew what he had done was wrong. He didn't need his dad to tell him. And he said that because his parents had taught him at least the basics of the gospel, he started asking God for forgiveness all the time, over and over, because he felt so guilty and so awful for doing something so destructive and then lying about it. But he was just convinced that God could not forgive him for what he had done. About a month later, he was finally found out. Found out. Uh, another family said that they had seen Justin sneaking into the backyard. And his dad went to confront him and said, Hey, do you know anything about that flooding? And once again, what did he do? He lied to cover his sin. And his dad said, I know that you flooded that house. And he broke down in tears, sobbing. And through tears he said, I've been asking God to forgive me, but I don't think he ever will. But his father looked at him and said, Well, if you ask God to forgive you, then you are forgive You deserve to be punished. And this will cost a lot of money to fix. But son, you are forgiven. And God will From his father, Justin experienced this grace and forgiveness. He thought God had to be conditional, right? That there wasn't forgiveness for the awful thing he had done and covered it up. But there was. His father showed him that grace too. And it began to change him. This is why the promise, the gospel, is greater than the law. Because the law only convicts. But the gospel gives grace and forgiveness. So some of you may be wondering, and and I'm sure some of the readers of Galatians were wondering at the very beginning, why did God God even give us the law if there was this promise that's better than the law? And this is what he explains next in verse 19. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. So I want you to underline, those of you taking notes, I want you to underline the phrase, because of transgressions. Now this is a very complicated phrase, and I'm going to do my best to interpret it for you. But I think this means two different things. God gave us this law because of transgressions. What this means, first, is that God gave us the law to define for us what sin is. Define for us what sin is. Because some laws we understand in our hearts. We know that murder is wrong. Right? We just know that. Every human being in every religion knows that that's wrong. But there are other things that God needs to define. For example, I think of like the Tenth Commandment, which says, Do not covet your neighbor's wives or your neighbor's ox or your neighbor's house. We don't have oxen today. But some of us don't know that. We drive around and, and we look at all the big houses and we say, I want that. I want that person's car. I want that person's clothes. We covet these things, don't we? But until God defines for us, yes, that is sin, then we didn't know, maybe, some of us, that that was sin. And I could give a whole message just on jealousy and covetousness and how it messes with our hearts and that's why it is sin. But it is. God defines it for us. That's why he gave us the law. But there's a second reason why God gave us the law. It was, in fact, to increase sin. Because, those of you who are parents know this, that sometimes until you give a law, until you give a rule, your kids don't know that they're, they're going to break the rule. You, you can go out and say, hey, I want you to be good and behave, and whatever you do, do not open that package of Oreos. But what is the child <laughs> Goes to the Oreos. They might not have even known the Oreos existed, right? But as soon as they know, as soon as there's a law, they want to break it. That's what our sinful human hearts do. You may say, well, that's kind of weird. Why would God want to increase sin? 
But that's what leads us to our second point. The law drives us to the gospel. The, the law drives us to the gospel. It's defined it so we recognize that we're sinning more. In fact, sometimes just having a rule in front of us makes us want to break it. But it drives us to our need for help because we realize, I'm not perfect. I don't follow the law. I need grace. I need help. I need forgiveness. Because no matter how hard I try, those of us who have been raised religious, I'm not good enough to live up to all these rules. I don't meet the standard. You know what they say when you have an addiction or you're an alcoholic? What's the first thing you need to do? Admit you have a problem. God gave us the law so that we recognize, "Uh uh-oh, I need some help. I need grace. You know, denial is a really bad thing. Sometimes we need to be shown that we have a problem. That's why you could have a lump growing for years and just be in denial about it. But then you go into the doctor, they do a scan, they say, this is cancerous, we need to remove it. You were going to die the whole time, but until that shows you that you have a problem, you're not going to do anything. In the same way, the law reveals that we have this cancerous growth called sin in our lives. And we've got to get rid of it, or else it's going to destroy us. The law drives us to the gospel. In that sense, it's a good thing. You may say, well, Matt, it's kind of weird that God would give the law to increase sin. And Romans 5.20 explains this a little bit better. In Romans 5.20, it says that the law came along to multiply the trespass, But where sin is multiplied, grace is multiplied even more. So where there's more sin, God can give even more grace and forgiveness. God wants to lavish grace on us and give us things that we don't deserve. He wants to show us unconditional love. And it's because of the law opening our eyes to the sin we have in our lives that we realize how much grace we need and see and accept the grace that is there for us. When we realize we have sinned, we are driven to the arms of our sin. So this is why it's really important for us to still have the law. That's why God gave it to us. And we need to feel the weight of the law. We need to feel the weight of the law. This is why I encourage you to continue to read your Old Testament. We look at that verse, Christ is the end of the law. Well, why do we need the Old Testament? It's just old stuff, right? But we need to see these Ten Commandments. We need to see these laws and say, whoa, God expects this much from me. And I'm with him here. And then we're driven to what? The grace of the gospel. We need to read the Bible. This is why we need to be in church regularly. Weekly commit to this so that we come together because then we hear a message and say, whoa, I'm falling short here and here. I didn't even know that was a sin and now I know. And then we're driven again to the gospel. We need to have this regularly in our lives so that the law drives us to grace. This is why it's still important, parents, for you to teach your kids the Ten Commandments. Why it's still important to have rules in your household and law. For one, to teach them what the expectations are right, but also because when they fail and they will, there's grace. And you say, confess your sins to the Lord, they'll forgive you. And then you show them grace and forgiveness as a parent. It can be a powerful thing for them to experience grace after the law. So we need that law to drive us to the gospel again and again and again. So the law is good in that sense. But in another sense, it's very bad. And our third point, and this is why we need the gospel so much, is because the law incarcerates, but grace rehabilitates. 
We'll see this in verses 21. So read with me. It says, Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, circle that, impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. That phrase in part life is so important. Paul is saying, the law can tell you what's wrong, it can in that sense imprison you, but it cannot give you life. In this sense, the law is a cage. If you put a lion in a cage, it won't eat your dog. Right? It won't. It's stuck in a cage. But, that doesn't change the lion's desire to eat your dog. Right? It's following me. The law is a cage. The law is a cage that can prevent people from doing wrong because they say, oh, I don't want to break the law. I'll be a bad person. Bad things will happen to me. So it can prevent some sin. You put somebody in a prison, but it cannot change their hearts so that they don't want to sin any longer. We know this uh, because it, those of you who are bosses or leaders, you know that you can get your employees to have, show respect to your face and call you sir or ma'am. But when you're turned around and they're speaking behind your back, they can still talk some trash, right? Because you haven't changed their hearts. We know this with kids. You can force your kid to eat something that doesn't mean they're going to lie. And just this last Friday, we uh, fed McKinley for the first time some solid would be here some peas, and I want to show you this video of how she reacted. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, did you like those peas? <laughs> Parents, first please. She wants to spit it out. What do you think? <laughs> we got her to eat the peas. But she didn't like the peas. As far as we can tell. So, so that's what the law does. You can force someone to do something by the law. But you can't get them to like it or to change their heart. You can't change their life from the inside out. But the gospel does. You know, this is the biggest problem with our prison system today, right? We have an enormous prison population. And the thing that everyone's trying to figure out, Democrats and Republicans, how can we rehabilitate these prisoners? We can incarcerate them. That's easy. But how do we change them so that when they get out, they stop breaking the law? But the law cannot change someone's heart. It can't. This is why they're all struggling. Nobody can quite figure this out. Because how do we actually rehabilitate people so that they change? But that's what the gospel does for us. John Bunyan is attributed with a poem. It says, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. 
The gospel empowers us and enables us and changes our hearts so that we can obey God. We are given the Holy Spirit that we talked about last week so that we can uh, bring honor and glory to God's name and be accepted by Him by, by what we do. It's the gospel changing our hearts slowly, day by day, from the inside out that will lead us to live the life God wants us to. It's not the law. It's not the law. Because the gospel is what we see in our lives when we see people fall in love. Have you ever known the person that's almost kind of like a shell of themselves and they're real quiet and, and then all of a sudden they get this relationship with someone and it just brightened up. They're completely changed. I had a couple a few years ago that I performed their marriage ceremony for and I knew the guy a couple years before this and he always had his hat on and his eyes neon. He never talked with anyone. Super quiet. Wouldn't interact. Didn't dress nice. Didn't have the nicest clothes on. But then all of a sudden he met this girl. He met this girl and they started going out and fell in love. And you should have seen the transformation in this guy. All of a sudden he was the life of the party. You know, his eyes were lit up. He started sharing stories. He would talk. He would even cry in public. He had completely changed. Why? Because of love. Because of love. This is why we love the story, the beauty and the beast, right? Because love transforms transform this beast into a human. We love that story. And that's what God's love, His grace that's unconditional, can do for us. It doesn't just incarcerate us. It frees us. It rehabilitates us. It changes us and gives us new life. So that's why this, this gospel is so important for us personally, in our families, and in our society. The gospel is the answer. Personally, we can try really hard to be religious and observe these rules and laws. I can beat myself up when I'm not good enough and, and memorize scriptures so I can be a better person. But then we fail and we're oh, not good enough. I haven't lived up to God's standards. Any religion in the world, I'm not good enough. I haven't achieved nirvana yet. And that's why we need the gospel. Because if we know the gospel, we know that we are forgiven, we have grace, and we can continue to move forward in that grace will change us. Day by day, we have to tell ourselves the gospel. We have to ask for grace and forgiveness regularly. Be reminded that we need God's help to do it. And this is important for our families, too. If you only teach your children the law, those of you who are parents, your kids may obey the law for a time. In fact, later on in their life, they may do these things because they feel guilty. But what I've seen happen over and over again is that when kids are only given the law, only given religion, they graduate high school, or they move out on their own, and they go to college, and then they go crazy. They stop going to church. They start sinning, doing crazy things. They're not following the law anymore because they never wanted to. Their hearts were never changed. But if parents who tell your kids the gospel again and again, you teach them about forgiveness and grace and mercy, then when they do sin, because they will sin when they go to college, right? when they sin, they'll remember the grace that there is. And that will pull them back and will drive them to our Savior's arms. We need the gospel for our kids. We need it in our families. And, and parents, we've got to show that grace to our kids too. We've got to show them forgiveness, what it actually means. And, and this is about our society too. We have all these issues with prison or with rehabilitation. Why can't we figure these things out? Well, the solution is the gospel. We can teach people better in our public schools. Sure. We can give people the Ten Commandments at our courthouses. We can have all these rules and teach people morals. 
but it will only maybe make them behave better for a little while until nobody's watching them. Because their hearts are not changed. But the gospel is the only thing that can change hearts. Only thing that can impart life. And that's why what we do as a church is so important. Because the church is the hope of the world. Because we have the gospel. This gospel is the only thing that imparts life. It rehabilitates. So we're going to put this all together, like I said, in a big idea. And it's very simple. We came here for the fight. Religion versus the gospel. Well, who wins? The gospel, I think, right? The gospel is greater than religion. Simple. The gospel defeats religion, knocks it out over and over again. One pastor wrote that the law exposes, well, grace exonerates. The law diagnoses, but grace delivers. The law accuses, grace acquits. The law condemns the best of us, while grace saves the worst of us. The law says cursed, grace says blessed. The law says slave, grace says son. The law says guilty, grace says forgiven. The law can break a heart, but only grace can heal a broken heart. We need grace. We need forgiveness. We need the gospel way better than religion. If you've ever watched the movie or seen the musical or read the book, um, Late is a Rob, it's a great picture of this difference between the law and the gospel. Between religion and grace. Because in it, it tells the story of Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean was just a normal man and his family was hungry, so he stole some bread to feed them. But then he was in prison. He, he became a virtual slave for years and years and years. He had broken a law, but then the law, turns out, made him worse. Because once he broke out of prison, he went and he turned into a worse criminal. And there was this bishop one night that invited him into his home and said to him, you can sit at my table, you can eat my feast with me. And Jean Valjean did that, he ate there. But then, because of the law, he'd become a worse criminal. So in the middle of the night, he went and stole that bishop's best silver. He'd been given grace, right? He ate at my table, sleep in my house, and he stole from me. The law made him a worse criminal. And when he ran away that night, he was caught. And the soldiers brought him back to the bishop's house, said, I caught this man, John Valjean, who stole your silver. The bishop says, no, no, no. He didn't steal my silver. In fact, you forgot to take my candlesticks. Took some candlesticks. Gave them to Jean Valjean. And what happened then completely transformed him. The law had made him a worse criminal. But now his grace showing to him, this gift given to him by this bishop, shook his world completely. And it changed him from the inside out. And he went out for the rest of his life using his money, that silver that he made, to help others. Because the law is worse. Religion doesn't change us, but the gospel can and does. So I hope and pray that you will be driven to the grace of the gospel again and again. We need it in our life, daily. We need it in our family. We need it in our society. The gospel is the only thing that can change us. And that's why the gospel is different than every religion. That's why the gospel defeats religion every time and is way better than so as the band uh, comes forward, as Alan and Valerie and Melissa come and lead us in our final song, I want us to just respond to God's grace. You've never accepted Jesus Christ. You've never accepted that gift of forgiveness. Today's the day. Say, I, I do believe. I want to accept that grace and forgiveness in my life. 
And for all of us, let's go to it again. Because we've sinned this week. Some of us sinned this morning on the way to church. Right? Let's ask for that grace and forgiveness as we sing praises to our God who gives us grace. Lord God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the gift that you gave us that we deserve. We thank you that your love is unconditional. That your grace is greater than our sin. And where our sin increases, your grace multiplies even more. So Lord, would we just know how great the gospel is and be able to accept it in our lives and allow it to change us from the inside out. Lord, and during this song, can we just give glory to you because you are so good. For those who need to accept that grace for the first time, would you speak into their hearts so that they would do it, that they would see that your son Jesus died on the cross for them to give them grace, to give them forgiveness, even though they don't deserve it. And Lord, may we all be able to bring praise to your name, to worship your holy name, because you alone are the God of grace. 